Hey everyone, it's Chris Platty here. Uh, today's episode of Strictly Hoop Talk is the second part of a two-pack. Uh, those of you that follow the music industry know that two-packs are are kind of common now. Uh, Drake Drake's dropped a couple each of the last each of the last few years. Um, it's it's a it's a way to kind of put a little something out that's more than just one thing, but also not uh, not like a full body of work that's like consuming but anyways the reason i'm trying it here is i just want to see kind of from a numbers perspective what it does for the podcast so i'll be dropping uh these division previews in sets of two i just dropped the pacific division and this one is dropping at the exact same time as the pacific division preview so today's episode is the atlantic division preview uh we talk about all of the teams of the atlantic division minus obviously the knicks who did not make the bubble and yeah, we kind of just go from obviously Brooklyn's really fascinating with all the stuff they're going through, and then Philly. Philly, I mean Philly's been a roller coaster all season. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of intrigue in this division. Toronto and Boston as well being uh, being better than I think both were expected to be at the beginning of the season. Uh, so so that's very interesting, and we get into all that. We kind of untangle all of that. Now, lastly, I want to hit you with some quick housekeeping here. Um, if you don't, please follow me on all of the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and now music board at Real Chris Platty, C-H-R-I-S-P-L-A-T-T-E. I know you know how to spell real. Music board is a cool little app that uh, that I've found that allows you to rate and review music and, and kind of share your thoughts. So I write album reviews, artist reviews. Um, I make lists ranking like, you know, the whole TDE discography, Kendrick's discography, uh, make a list of, I have a list ranking every single Kendrick Lamar album song on here. Um, and it's just a lot of fun and it's a cool way to kind of see my perspectives and for me to see your perspectives. So, um, it's, it's a great site. I encourage every music lover there is to be on that site, regardless of if it's rap or not. Um, follow me on there. I do follow back and, uh, it's just a cool little way to kind of engage with people on a music level. So, uh, so check that app out as well. And then also if you want to follow me on, uh, Spotify and Apple music, those are also sites that, uh, I'm at real Chris Platy. You can find me there. That's the handle for all of those, for all places that you can find Chris Platy. And, um, I'll make you a playlist too. reach out to me. If you want a playlist, um, I'm doing, I'm doing playlists right now. I've been making a a couple i'm finishing a couple as we speak but listen man enough about music you guys are here for some hoops so let's get to some hoop talk right now leora kozai coming back on the podcast to preview the atlantic division with me let's go everyone hello and welcome back to strictly hoop talk as always i'm your host chris platty back for another division preview as we get this restart going here in orlando i don't know why i said here in orlando because i'm definitely not in orlando in the bubble but joining me is my guy leor kozai leor how you doing i'm doing all right man uh under the circumstances as we're to say now but yeah 
not too bad. Yeah, man. I mean, I haven't talked. I haven't talked to you or had you on the podcast since everything's gone down with quarantine, with all of the just societal issues, everything, man. So really, I want to ask it again. You, you know, you doing good? Everyone in your family doing all right? Everything going good? Yeah, all good for the most part. Um, we haven't hit. We haven't been hit as bad here here in Toronto and Ontario. I mean, like, still like have to take precautions and everything, and like it's not it's not going to be the same as normal life for a while. But like, at least um, people are wearing masks. Like, people are taking precautions, and uh, so hopefully we'll be able to like get things like somewhat normal within um, within however long it's going to be. Yeah, but uh, personally, like, not too bad. Fortunately, everyone's healthy. Good. Good to hear, man. Good to hear. Because it's, it's a crazy time, man. It's a crazy time. And uh, the listeners, by the way, if things sound a little different, if the acoustics is a little different, I am in a different room right now due to uh, my neighbors are having some sort of celebration. They have a massive blow-up <laughs> tent running, which you can actually still kind of hear, but hear less loud. Um Let's get to it, man. Let's get to it. So we got a lot of basketball to talk. Four of the five teams will be joining the bubble here in Orlando in this division, the Atlantic Division. Um, we'll start with the Nets, who are the last team. Obviously, the Knicks are the team that's not making this uh, this bubble restart. Uh, although, although there is that there is that discussion about you know whether the eight teams that aren't in a bubble can do their own little thing in another place and that's a whole nother podcast so we won't get to that let's start with Brooklyn Nets who have a six game lead on the eighth seed and a half a game lead on Orlando fourth seventh seed but they have a ton of players opting out KD Kyrie DeAndre Jordan Spencer Dinwiddie Torin Prince and Wilson Chandler so Obviously, we're 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 not getting the Brooklyn Nets that we're expecting to see next season. I don't even know what the Brooklyn Nets we're expecting to see next season, Leo. Or I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> you're on the same boat. So, for me, it seems like they don't they're not really prioritizing uh, this season at all. So, I, I as far as watching them play basketball, like yeah, they signed Michael Beasley and all that, um, but you know, I'm not really looking forward to them basketball wise i'm looking forward to how the nets move forward because it seems like the stars want to trade half the team and management is always going to side with the stars it just it seems like a messy public situation and that uh that brooklyn is in with due to kyrie mostly and, and also kd but i i don't know man it just brooklyn seems like they're they're in a weird place because they have a lot of talent on their roster and it seems like Kyrie has been very vocal about wanting different pieces on that roster. So where where do the Nets go from here? Yeah, it's a super weird situation. And um, I mean, it feels like forever ago, but I think it was only January or February when Kyrie Irving kind of said like, oh, like it's obvious we need some help around like me, KD, DeAndre, and he maybe named a couple of other players. So it's like, Obviously, he kind of publicly called the team out or at least said, like, this isn't going to be our team moving forward. Um, and I think there's been some speculation that they might try to form a trade package. So um, I guess to me, the most interesting thing to watch for them in the next 
month or so or however long they last in the bubble, I guess, is um is just like what is Karis Levert gonna do? Because he's kind of the key piece beyond Kyrie and KD. So yeah. either and I think he was kind of coming on towards the end of um the season before it got suspended. He was getting like around twenty points per game. I think he had like a career high thirty seven against the Raptors. Um shortly before the season stopped and he was really having a nice season so either he can develop into kind of that third scorer that third star and kind of a borderline all-star or um or they he can develop to the point where um they could use him in a trade and i think the guy that's kind of been speculated about is bradley beal from the wizards so Mm -hmm. if the nets could put some kind of package around like lavert maybe joe harris um and some picks, or Jared Allen might be involved in that, since they have DeAndre Jordan um, and Kyrie and KD are kind of um, part of going to Brooklyn. Was that they wanted to bring DeAndre Jordan there, even though I would argue like Jared Allen is as good, if not better, than Jordan. Um, so it's just an interesting, I guess, young core. But like, obviously, the team is so depleted. I don't think they're gonna do anything significant. Like, they'll probably if they don't fall out and they manage to hang on, like they'll probably end up the eighth seed and get swept by Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. So they're not doing much in the playoffs, but yeah, like you said, like it's just looking towards next year and what are these pieces that they're going to build on? Yeah. And you know, it's been forever since basketball has, has been a part of our lives. And you forget that, like, I think it was a week or two before the season, they fired Kenny Atkinson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they got an interim coach. So everything about this situation is just so up in the air. Karis LeVert, like you said, had that amazing game where he scored like 25 points in in uh, the fourth quarter and overtime to win. I I think that, that was either Toronto or Boston. I'm, I don't remember. Um, but it's just absolutely crazy to to see that to see a situation this public play out when when everybody thought when Kyrie and KD went to the Nets, like, oh, wow, they, they're like 10 deep in players already, and they just mm-hmm. got two superstars without without having to really lose a lot of depth. And so it was a, it was going into it, it was a very good situation, and then it gets to the philosophical side of it. Do you want three stars or do you want two stars in depth, kind of like the Clippers have? And, you know, honestly, I think in today's in today's day and age i think i think you do want to have a deep roster um i think we saw it last year with toronto versus golden state like that was a huge battle of uh that was a huge showcase for me it it showed that you know a team the warriors obviously made their move for kd and i'm not saying that they shouldn't have made that move they absolutely should have but that showed the downside of going all in on three four guys you had almost nobody to step up when one or two of those guys went down and injuries happen. And especially in, in, in a situation like this with the pandemic moving forward for presumably, you know, hopefully we have it controlled by this time next year. But who knows? Um, coronavirus is something that could impact not only this year's playoffs, but next year's playoffs, too. And so I tend to think that having 10 deep guys like Toronto had that they can just they could just throw out 10 guys that you can trust to play in the NBA finals is is such a huge advantage over teams that uh you teams that just don't have that because Fred Van Fleet like 
he had that miracle second half of the postseason. And, you know, if he in the first half they were able to survive. Why? Because he, he was he was important to the team, but they had other players around that were able to step up. I mean, where do you fall in the whole three stars versus depth kind of roster construction? Yeah, you made a lot of good points about it there. Like just the fact that you can I mean, even if you can't go ten deep, like at least like eight or nine just yeah. solid, like reliable players so that if a star is either having an off game or just gets hurt, like the Warriors was kind of an extreme example with yeah. KD and Clay. Um, well, Clay at least missing like one game and then mm-hmm. another half um, or another quarter uh, at the end of that series. But like then just with um, just when your stars get hurt, just the fact that you have like that depth there. And I think the Nets really do have good guard depth having. Dinwiddie and Levert um, in the backcourt next to Kyrie Irving. And I think they'd be sacrificing a lot if they uh, go on on another star. Um, At the same time, I guess it kind of depends on the context of the East and on the context of their roster, like how they can fill that out. Um, We don't really know how the cap is going to be impacted, the salary cap, by uh, the loss of revenue from this and the fact that like the fan attendance is not it's pretty much guaranteed not to be like not we're pretty much guaranteed not to have fans in arenas next year so that's a lot of revenue lost too so if the salary cap goes down i don't know if the nba is going to make some kind of exception but it might be harder to sign big time free agents and then how do you fill out your roster like is it going to completely change like the way you build your roster so i do think if kd gets to like 90 percent of what he is now uh of what he was before his injury then like I think just having KD and Kyrie with this team of like this pretty deep team with solid role players like maybe add one more big guy at a power forward I think that's kind of a weak mm-hmm. spot for them but just adding like a couple of role players next to this already pretty deep team and you have the star power I think that's enough um, and that could be enough to get out of the east especially if like the salary cap effect is affected the way like it might be um and like you said like i think the depth has really proved to be important and they do have the top end star power it's not like they don't have those two stars i just think you might not necessarily need three anymore with the way golden state kind of collapsed like all the best teams seem to have two the lakers have lebron and ad the clippers have Kawhi and paul george so i think you can win with that two star um that two star team build um Yeah. yeah that's what i would look for them going forward yeah, and and that's the that's the other part to kind of go against what I was um what my point earlier, um the the counter to that if you wanted to play devil's advocate was hey the entire league has two stars if we get a third star that's a huge advantage you know, um these other teams you know you're looking at the Giannis and Middleton like you said uh LeBron AD Kawhi Paul George things of things of that nature um you know maybe maybe now is the time to have three right like maybe when when you don't have but um again it's it's a it's a philosophical debate and really like you said earlier at the very beginning of your statement that it's really so it's subject to so much around it you know you got to have if you have three stars if you have the right pieces around those three stars the three stars is great 
if you have two stars and you have the, the right piece around two stars, then two stars is the better option. It's always subject to change. And I'm glad you brought up the salary cap because that is a huge unknown. That is something that's really going to, uh, I think, affect the league for the next at least two seasons, if not if not more. It's going to take some time before the NBA um, really uh, gets the salary cap on the straight and narrow unless they figure out a way to either smooth it or, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm not a cap guy. Uh, yeah, I, I follow it, but I follow it, but I don't fully understand it. But I just know that, like you said, you know, losing a lot of the money um, off of home game revenue is just is just crucial to the salary cap. And I don't know. I don't know what to expect as far as moving forward. Um, what kind of what kind of salaries these players are going to get. And that and that's a that's a dangerous territory because we saw on the flip side of it four or five years ago now when uh when the cap spiked and the Warriors were able to sign KD and everybody got super money now we could see the flip of that and we could see the cap drop uh, uh we could see the cap drop steep and then we could see players you know getting these deals that are just totally undervalued in three four years from now look like just amazing deals like oh wow you got you know you got uh Lou Williams for two million a year on on the final year. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a really yeah. it's a really uh, fluid and shaky situation. Yeah, exactly. And like uh, I'm not a cap expert either, but like I totally think the KD move and how that was like the reverse of this with the cap going way up in one summer. I think like players and the players union will like take note of that and maybe say like we don't want this one summer's crop of players to suddenly be way underpaid like we want it to like slowly go down so like the cap will be like artificially inflated i guess like yeah. more than the revenue would dictate and then like so that it doesn't go down so quick at once um but yeah like you said like it's a big unknown so um we don't exactly know what that's going to look like or how that affects the net specifically but could definitely be a factor in like the choice to go two stars or three going forward yeah, yeah, well said. Let's move on from Brooklyn to Philly. So Philly is interesting um, because they are in the standings. They are the sixth seed. They are, they are. Um, let's see here, eight and a half games ahead of Brooklyn, and they are tied with uh, with Indiana for fifth, three games out of the fourth spot, and four and a half games out of the third spot with Boston. So they got quite a ways uh, to climb in the standings. But, however, if things go their way in Orlando, they can find themselves as high as the the third or fourth seed if they come out all things clicking. Um, The interesting thing about them when I was doing some research, because I was like, like, let me look at the actual numbers of Philly because, again, it's just been so long since basketball has been in our life. in the last 15 games, Philly has the third highest offensive rating, but the 24th defensive rating. Mm. And defense was obviously um, a, a great calling card for them earlier in the year and something that they prided themselves on, something that, that they looked to as an advantage come postseason time. They, they would be able to be big with Al Horford, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, uh, Tobias Harris. They were able to play big and 
really just muck things up defensively. But as the season's gone on, they've gotten worse defensively and better offensively. Um, also, I did not mention uh, Zaire Smith, who's injured, will not be will not be joining them in Orlando. But that's the only player. Uh, when it comes down to it with Philadelphia, my biggest question is, what does this team look like without Jimmy Butler in the playoffs? Because last year, I saw Jimmy be by far their most important player. Um, you know, people will argue Joel Embiid, and I get, I guess that's fine. Joel, Joel's obviously a huge central part of their of their offense and defense. But I saw Jimmy Butler just be the unequivocal guy when Philly needed a bucket time in and time out in that Toronto series, even in the Brooklyn series when things weren't when things were getting a little dicey in those first couple of games. They would give the ball to Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy was the one who created everything. So I'm really curious to see what Philly looks like without Jimmy in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely Butler was, like, I guess their most consistent guy. Like, I think Embiid at his peak was as good as any player in the playoffs. Like, he could just, I think, game three uh, against Toronto was probably the best example of that, where Embiid went off for, like, 33 points 13 rebounds something like that and he was just dominant but like you said like jimmy butler was just the consistent perimeter guy for them um creating shots creating plays and um creating shots for his teammates too um so i guess yeah just how do they fill that void and i think Embiid had this quote in um usa today the other day he said like i need to be more assertive he said um the offense has to run through him basically in the playoffs um and he kind of talked about how like he wants to be the main guy um just in terms of like offense and running it through him running it through the post so i think it will be interesting to see if they follow up on that i guess and if they play through him i think when he can reach his peak level like that makes them as dangerous as any team in the east and he can basically be the second best if not the best player in the east just him and Giannis when he's at his best but the thing is like we've seen so many times where he's just inconsistent he's like on one game and the next game he just looks terrible so it's really about him um following up on what he said I guess and just being that aggressive player offensively for them and then also on the other end like like you said with their defense slipping a little bit or a lot actually towards the end of the regular season like just seeing him be at that peak level like I think that he's kind of the anchor of that defense as good as all those other guys are and if he's kind of at his best defensively I think everyone else will follow so just on both ends um and beat is the key to me yeah I and I agree with that I agree with that statement um because like I said when I was saying that Jimmy is the best yeah he's definitely the most consistent is the is the right term um, but Joel Embiid at his peak was absolutely incredible in the games where he was playing at his peak. Um, the other interesting thing about Philly is that the Al Horford situation, I don't think, has gone anywhere near what um, people expected. I, I, think, I think Philly expected a lot more out of Al Horford, and Al Horford hasn't had the greatest season in Philly. And I'm very much wondering, I mean, if I recall, even it feels like forever ago again, but um, the trade deadline, I even uh, recall 
you know, maybe here in some Philly, you know, if there was any takers on a on a Al Horford, and what that would look like, or or a Tobias Harris, something to shake up the shake up the top of the roster, not just what's what's around them. I know they ultimately ended up doing the trade for uh, Alec Burks and and the other player. I can't remember; it's been so long. But the, just assessing the situation with Horford, have Leor, have you gotten the same feeling? I mean, you're you're a Boston. You're, well, you're a Toronto guy, but you played. Yeah. You watch a lot of Boston games. I mean, how do you think Al Horford has has fit in Philly? Yeah, I think it's been like like you said. I mean, that might even be an under, an understatement. Like it's just been such a mess with him. Um, and I think it's just it's a really awkward fit with him next to Embiid in the lineup. And um, I think it was Zach Lowe, maybe last week, talked about it on his podcast, how, like, Horford has played quite a few minutes um, separate from Embiid with Horford at center. But it just, um, either way, like, it's still, when you have those two guys and Horford's getting paid as much as he is, like, you're going to end up playing him a lot of minutes next to Embiid. Like, both of those guys are high-minutes guys. So it's inevitable. And... He was just really struggling. Like, I don't think he, like, I think he does thrive more as a center than a forward, than a power forward at this point. And it's just, it's too, there's not enough spacing with him and Embiid. And particularly when you have Simmons on the floor as well, you're basically talking about like three guys who prefer to play inside or like at least at the mid post for Horford. Like, he's not a spot up three point shooter, even though he is a good shooter from the elbows and, and, from the top a little bit as a three-point shooter like that's not where he prefers to play like he wants to be in like the mid post and in the paint and just forcing him to kind of be a spot-up guy I don't think is going to be effective um so they kind of put him off the bench for a few games there um and then Joel Embiid got hurt again so Horford like was doing basically nothing in those games off the bench like it was in kind of mid-February around the all-star break and he was putting up like six points, three points, like barely yeah. being used at all. And then Embiid goes down again, like towards the end of the um, of the regular season. And then Horford actually had like some bright spots there towards the end with like a 22 point, 10 rebounds, seven assist game. And then like a 20 point, 10 rebounds, six assist game right at the end before the season stopped. So maybe he was kind of getting going without Embiid, maybe trying him off the bench but playing him a little more is the solution or just playing him more with Simmons but less with Embiid and kind of trying to stagger those guys but definitely like I think if he's as bad as he was for like a lot of this season like it's just it's a problem to have all those guys because they don't they don't have to have him struggling is a problem because they don't have like the guards to really play smaller or like find alternative solutions like then at that point you're playing guys like Korkmaz and like not that those guys are bad but just you're relying too much on a guy like Korkmaz or Burks who I don't think should be like a key part of your rotation in the playoffs at least yeah. they shouldn't be playing like 30 35 minutes a game like those guys are solid but like 20 minutes 15 minutes so yeah, yeah it's really about finding some way to put um to put it all together with Horford and Simmons and Embiid and find a way to have all three of those guys play at least like close to their peak performance. Yeah, and that's exactly why I have all the reasons you stated it. I have backed off of um, Philly coming out of the East, and I know that 
I know that I've stated this before on many podcasts, especially the last couple I did before the uh, the season stopped. It's just my lack of uh, of confidence in in the East as far as as far as who's coming out of it. Because when when you look at Philly, I mean, I'll never forget that Christmas game against Milwaukee where they just put on a spectacular performance and and thoroughly and thoroughly dominated Milwaukee. And you saw, okay, wow. With this size, when they're clicking and they're hitting sh- enough shots, this is a this is a devastating team. They're so big that when when playoff time comes and the game gets slowed down and more physical, Philly is built for this for this moment. And I'm you know and I'm I'm really taking a lot away from that Christmas game. And then and then fast forward to you know like just the next couple months, just watching the season play, and it's just like they have these games where it's just like it's it's just ugly and it's just a mess and i don't have i don't have much confidence in philly coming out of coming out of the east for for that reason just because it just the fit is so it is so it's so few and far between the games where philly is clicking that come playoff time you know they're going to be a tough team don't get me wrong i mean they have they have arguably the most the most talent in as far as a roster construction in the Eastern Conference, I wouldn't say that, but there's others who will, and I, you know, that's a valid argument to me. But I just can't trust the fit at all, man. I mean, where do you stand on Philly as far as a, um, as as far as their contender status in the Eastern Conference? Oh, I'm right with you. Like, I picked them to make the finals, um, like, as my finals prediction, like, going into the season and just immediate, and not immediately, but, like, very soon into the season, like, I lost confidence in that prediction. And I just, just for all the reasons you said, like, at their peak, like, that Christmas Day game, like, they look amazing because they have all this talent, they have all this size that can be really overwhelming and, like, tough to score against in the playoffs. Um, but they just, their, their offense can look so bad when it's bad. And as much as like they did seem to, I guess, improve in those last few weeks before the season stopped, like they just, in general, they're just so inconsistent. And when teams can slow them down to the half court, like the Raptors and Bucks, I think are two of the best at this, like, Mm -hmm. um, just getting them into the half court and, containing Embiid then it's just such it's just so tough for Philly because they just don't have the spacing and they really don't um they don't like play well together particularly those three guys Simmons Embiid and Horford all three on the floor it's just really cramped and it's not good offensively and then on defense like I kind of trust them to be better than they were in that last little stretch but like yeah Embiid missed a lot of that stretch so that's like that's kind of what I think will help their defense like get back to at least like top 10 level. But then if their offense is this bad, like I can't see them getting past maybe this, like maybe the second round, depending on if they can get into that like four or five spot, then I think they could win their first round series. But then if they get to the second round and meet Milwaukee, I don't see them having almost any chance of getting past that series. So Yeah, so probably topped out as like a second round out. If they play Boston and stay like if the season ended today, they would play Boston in the three six matchup. Like I think Boston kind of has their number despite the size advantage for Philly. And um 
So I'd go with Boston in that matchup. Yeah, I mean, it would be just absolutely nuts to see a year ago when we were looking at this team and we were looking at um, the expectation was was finals for Philly. The expectation was 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 finals or bust. And now we're looking at a team that could potentially be out in the first round, depending on the matchups. Maybe the most people are thinking, you know, second round they get they get bounced. Um, but not many people are picking them to make the conference finals, let alone the NBA finals. And I just wonder if major changes are coming to Philly. But that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. Uh, we spent enough time on Philly. Let's jump to Boston. Boston has no players opting out at the moment, um, and I don't expect that to change now as we're seeing uh, players start to report to uh, to Orlando. By the way, if you if you do not, listeners, follow uh, NBA Bubble Life. It is a Twitter account, and it is just a uh, it's just somebody who is aggregating all the videos that all the players are posting, all the videos and pictures. <laughs> of players and what they're doing in the bubble. It's absolutely hilarious. There's a video of Maxi Kleba playing uh, playing some music out of speakers. J.R. Smith on Instagram Live. I'm scrolling through it now. Patrick Beverly talking about, you know, uh, showing his room set up. Players showing what they're what they're eating. All of that stuff. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really funny. It's really funny. So go follow that if you don't. But side note, let's, or, that is a side note. Let's get back to the main point, Boston. Um, I I don't really have that many questions. I feel like Boston is the most of the Eastern teams, the most kind of, well, Boston and Toronto, really. They're the most um, like figured we know. out as far as, yeah, as far as their yeah, identity Yeah, we know goes. what they are, right? Yeah. Right. And so Boston, I mean, really – the only thing to say, and this sounds like the basic, uh, the basic answer, but you know, what will Kemba be? Because before, right before the season ended, he was flailing out. Um, he was having a lot of five for seventeen games, um, you know, four for twenty. Like he was having a lot of rough, rough performances where he was not shooting the ball well. He wasn't moving well. You could see he wasn't paying. He missed. A, he mit, He was missing games here and there. Um, and obviously, Kemba's a big part of of the team come playoff time, so that's kind of where I'm going. But I feel like the rest of Boston is pretty much figured out. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think Kemba he did have like the knee injury that um, was kind of flaring up at the All Star game, and then a little bit after that, um, there was kind of a joke among Raptors fans that Nick Nurse was trying to run him into the ground at the All Star game. <laughs> Oh, um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, just playing him a lot. Um, probably more than he should have played. But, like, yeah, I think it seems like he'll probably be healthy by now. Just having all that time off probably yeah. did a lot of good for him. Um, so I'm not too worried about Kemba for them. I guess my question for them was, um, was like, can Tatum be as good as we saw him in the final 20 games, I guess? Yeah. Um, so that last 20 games... Just looking at his numbers here, he was at he won Player of the Month, I believe, for February, and basically since mid January, he's at twenty eight points a game, like seven and a half rebounds, three assists, shooting 
48% from the field, 46% from three, just like superstar numbers. And I think the answer is probably yes. Like, I think he cools down a bit probably from three and he was just on fire. Like, I think there was a one month stretch, like a little shorter than this, where he was at like 50% from three. And I don't think that's sustainable. Like he was just unreal. And he had like some really incredible games against the LA teams, like the Clippers just before the all-star break, um, the Lakers in a loss. Um, And keep in mind when he was shooting that 50% clip, he was doing like dribble pull-ups, everything. Yeah. He's taking tough shots. Like these are, these are not like uh, spot up threes from the corner. These are like pull-ups over elite defenders. Like he was, he was taking it to Kawhi. He was taking it to LeBron and pretty much anyone who was on the floor against him. So like Tatum, I do think he's legit. Like I'm not saying that, um, I'm not saying that like, I'm questioning whether this like is representative of him. Just like, can he do it at this level, like to this extent? And like, I guess that's the question for me because I think if he gets to that level, then like he's the best player on the floor against the Raptors in that case, or he's the best player on the floor, even against the Sixers probably. Um, And that basically makes him like the second best in the East. And that kind of, pushes them to another level maybe that gets them within range of milwaukee um but either way like that takes the celtics to like basically competing with any team in the east not named milwaukee like probably better than toronto if tatum is at that level if he's like a little notch below then i think it becomes a tough series with between the raptors and the celtics um and we'll get to the raptors but just i think it's interesting to watch tatum and see if he gets like right back into that rhythm or he has a little rust on him these first few games in the bubble. Yeah, that's a very fascinating point. I'm glad you brought up the Tatum Ascension because that is uh, the most important story in Boston um, beyond beyond even Kemba's knee because like you said, I think knee issues are very tricky. You know, like, um, you know, you can, you can either... sometimes it can go away fast sometimes it can linger sometimes it can go away fast but also come back fast um it's very very weird but you're right Tatum's ascension into this next level this early in his career too is something that's very interesting to um very interesting to watch and also just kind of it's it's strange to see a player this young be this good this impactful and um still feel like he has he has even more levels to go um because Jason Tatum's just been phenomenal also Jalen Brown has been has been incredible overall on the season um Boston has really kind of come into form with a lot of their wings even Hayward was uh was having great stretches throughout the season and I think he's starting to kind of figure out what his what his game is post leg injury um so boston is coming to shape very well and you're right i mean you know the more and more i sit with boston the more and more i start to think that okay they are one of the biggest challenges to milwaukee coming out of the east but let's jump to toronto because toronto is the fascinating uh the fascinating story to me They've been incredible all season. I don't just say that as a as a Canadian myself, but <laughs> but I, which I know you are as well. I was, you know, Cana- I'm Canadian by 
by lineage you're Canadian by just by birth so Toronto man they're just really interesting to me they're really fun because they are the second seed in the Eastern Conference at 46 and 18 six and a half games back in Milwaukee so they're probably not catching Milwaukee but um, but they have a three game lead on the on the two seed as well and um, I think if you're if if this week has shown anything about the Eastern Conference playoffs, it's that you want to be the the first uh, the first or the second seed because after Orlando and Brooklyn, you know, then you're talking about playing Philly, who again we we just talked about our issues with, but Philly is a team that you know at at the beginning of the season a lot of people pick to make the finals, and you never know if they can just somehow figure it out and, and click. So you don't. You, you definitely, the importance of having the one and two seed, even though you don't have home court advantage this year, it, is huge because the, the difference in the level of competition between uh, between Brooklyn and Orlando versus Philly, um, Indiana also could fall into that slot now that Victor Oladipo is not coming with them to the, to, uh, to the trip, but Indiana will still, will still be a tough team. So, Again, it's, you know, seeding is very much still important because even though you don't have home court, you have matchups to play to, and matchups now more than ever are the most important thing. Again, they currently have no players opting out at this moment. Lear, Toronto is your team, so I will let you go first on this. What is the thing that's most interesting to you about Toronto going into this restart in Orlando? Um, so to me, it's... Can they, I guess, elevate their half-court offense um, to a level where they can beat the Bucks? Because to me, I think they like they're the number two defense, number two in defensive rating, pretty much all year. Um, a good distance behind the Bucks, but still like an elite defense. And like you said, they've been a joy to watch. Like the way they move the ball, they just play so hard, especially. Like for the regular season, you just don't see teams like just go all out the way they do, and they have so much depth. Like they played, oh, they played eight players on opening night, and since then they've just suffered so many injuries. And every time someone suffers an injury, another player seems to step up. Like Rondé Hollis Jefferson came into the lineup and made an impact. Chris Boucher, even a guy like. Um, Terrence Davis, I mean, he did play opening night, but he was an undrafted rookie and came in and made an impact. And then Norman Powell had the best season of his career despite a bunch of injuries. Yeah, he was just coming back. And I kind of joked about it on the South of the Six Raptors podcast the other day. Like, Norman Powell, I think, is the guy I least worry about Rust because he basically came back from... 10 games off due to injury and just went right back into being a 20 point scorer off the bench multiple yeah. times this year. So we're kind of talking about like a really deep team. Um, OG Ananobi after like a really tough second year that he had some personal issues and, um, and some injury issues and he just came right back in and is having the best season of his young career. Fred Van Vliet improved a ton and kind of, played off of um, that second half of the playoffs that you mentioned, he kind of, he like became even better than he was then. And after having like a pretty bad regular season last year, to be honest. Um, So just everyone on the team improving, but 
the issue for them, like I said, has been, I guess, the half-court offense. So in transition, they've been basically the number one team, like number one in frequency. So 22% of their possessions have come in transition, basically more than a fifth of their possessions. And they've been really efficient with those. So 1.17 points per possession. That puts them third in the league behind only Miami and Phoenix. So they've been one of the most efficient teams and one of the best teams at getting out in transition. The problem is when you run into a team like the Bucks, they stop you from getting out in transition, particularly in the playoffs. I think it will happen where you have to get that half-court offense. And now you don't have an ISO score like Kawhi Leonard um, just at that level. So can Pascal Siakam step up and kind of be that guy? Or can... Norman Powell and just this team effort of a bunch of like solid creative scores um, kind of managed to find points in the half court because I think you definitely trust their defense to be able to survive against teams like Boston and Milwaukee. But if the offense isn't there, then I think um, they'll have a lot of trouble with Boston. And even if they make it past Boston, I can't see them beating Milwaukee if their offense is struggling, but if they can reach another level on that end, then I think like the doors open at least for a small shot at making the finals. Yeah, that is an excellent point. Um, their half court offense is, is essential to where they are um, or where they, where they want to be, I should say as, as far as finals contention goes, because you're right. This is a team that um, defensively, somehow some way has almost not missed a step after losing Kawhi and Danny Green and um they're incredibly deep they're still um they're they're still just 8 10 guys deep that you trust in an NBA finals game which is uh w- which is amazing the fact that they again lost two of their arguably two of their probably top 5 players last season and they're still and they're still this deep um Half court is going to be huge. Half court is going to be very huge because, again, that's what that's what a lot of playoff basketball gets to. The game gets slowed down. You don't get as many of those free transition points uh, that you get in the regular season when players are jogging back on defense or they linger a little bit after their shot. That doesn't happen in the playoffs. In the playoffs, everybody is locked in. Everybody is committed. And those uh, those half court options are not going to be nearly as um, nearly as uh, impact or frequent, I should say, as as they are in the regular season. Also, Toronto being a great uh, a great home team, I wonder. That's kind of what I wrote was how will they fare mm-hmm. in these games because they are an exceptional home team and they are a solid road team, but. Um, they are exceptional at home, and I think um, and I think they're one of the teams that maybe this is just an outsider's perspective, Leo. You could probably speak to this better than I can, but they just always gave me the feeling of a team that is uh, that that really gets a boost from from home court advantage. That they really have home court advantage over over a lot of teams. Like for example, Milwaukee is a team. I feel like Milwaukee is um it is not as they they don't give me the feeling like this is a team when they're when they're on their home court it's very tough to lose versus Toronto I feel like it is very tough for Toronto to lose when they are on their home court so I wonder 
and I talked about this on the other podcast as far as just what are these games? Are these home games? Are these away games? Are these mm-hmm. neither? Because there's no fans. You know, that's kind of where I where I um, wonder about Toronto. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the Raptors are like dead even in their home and road record this year, like 23-9 really? in both. Yeah. And I think like this is as good as they've been as a road team like ever. Um, I definitely do think home court is a factor. Um, like it would like they're definitely better at home despite like the records being even. Um and I think, like, in a Boston series, I think that would be a big factor. Just the fact that they're probably getting the two seed, but in a regular season, in a normal season where you'd have home court in that, I think that would have been really big to potentially go to a game seven at home. And we saw it just last year where they were against, like, a pretty evenly matched team in Philly last year, and they had the game seven at home. And I think that was a big factor. Um, and obviously, they won at the buzzer. Like, it could have gone either way. But like it was such a it was just a big factor. I think it really helped them to be at home and they struggled on the road in that series. So it's a obviously no Kawhi Leonard, but like for the most part, it's a similar team. It's the same core guys. And I do think like it will hurt them in that sense to not have the home court um, for a game seven against Boston. But at the same time, like it's going to come down to their quality of play and just executing and in a series against Boston where it would probably be like almost a toss up. Like these two teams are at a similar level. Then I think it's going to come down to like executing game by game. On the other hand against Milwaukee, like where you would have had two home games or you would have had like had to go on the road twice in a row and now, and then come back home for two. I don't know. I think like, it's an advantage in the sense that like now you don't have that game seven on the road. If you reach the conference finals, you don't have to go into Milwaukee, which I think is like as much as it might not be um, like, they might not be dependent on that home court. They are like 28 and three at home. I think that crowd was like really tough to play against in the playoffs last year. And Toronto just squeaked in that um, game five win, which was like, kind of a heroic effort by Kawhi in the fourth quarter. Like that was the game where he was hitting like step back threes over Brooke Lopez. And, and it was kind of Fred Van Vliet's like first big, um, big, amazing, like clutch performance in the fourth quarter. So just, it took a lot to win in Milwaukee. So I think it could actually help them in that sense. Um, just not having to win in Milwaukee, but at the same time, like not having the advantage the other way against Milwaukee, like, maybe you get maybe you lose in five instead of um having those two home games to kind of help you take it to six so like either way it can um yeah it's like it's, it's a impossible. wash kinda. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's impossible to predict right because like we've never right. seen something like this with like no home court for either team like the neutral court for the playoffs but um but yeah like it could go either way like i can't predict it but i can see like potential benefits and potential downsides either way yeah, and that's a, that's what's so interesting. That's what I keep saying on every NBA podcast I've done since uh, since the quarantine even started is that, you know, there are going to be people and teams that benefit from this and get hurt by it. It's just life. Any situation, whenever something happens, you automatically create advantages and disadvantages naturally. 
and it's hard to predict you know what's the team that's gonna that's gonna benefit from not having any home games uh, and and not be or what's the team that's going to benefit from not being on the road you know like these are things that they're go it's going to happen like one of these teams is going to benefit from the fact that they aren't um that they don't have to go on the road against Toronto, against Boston, against Milwaukee, whoever. We don't know what that team is. And then there's also going to be teams that are hurt and will feel like uh, if we had home court, we, we we probably could have in a normal year, we could have won this series or mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. But um, but beyond all that, the, the part that you got me really interested in is when you talked about it coming down to execution versus Toronto and Boston because man that those are two that's two great coaching staffs right there going head to head i would i would just from an from a pure basketball perspective man the x's and o's of that series the adjustments all of that are going to be so fascinating to watch if we get that matchup man yeah absolutely and it's it's such a like it's been kind of a one-sided like rivalry per se and like Raptors fans think of the Celtics as a rival because they've had a lot of great regular season matchups. Um, and they've kind of both been like contending playoff teams the last like at least um, five years, basically since 2015, I think, was mm-hmm. the Celtics' um, first year making the playoffs with kind of this, I mean, not this iteration of the team, but like the Marcus Smart, Al Horford yeah. team. And then it kind of transitioned into Isaiah Thomas and that became like Tatum and Brown. Um, so just like this era of the Celtics and this era of the Raptors, like they both made the playoffs a lot, but never met up. So it'll be interesting that this is the time they finally meet up. No home court advantage, which they've both, um, they've both struggled to win on the other's home court, at least in the regular season. Um, and this was the first season they each won one on the other's home court, including like the Christmas day game, um, with the Celtics in Toronto. So it will be interesting to see them on a neutral court when it just comes down to, like, who's the better team, um, assuming hopefully they're both fully healthy. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. I hope we get that matchup. I do think just yeah. one thing I wanted to mention um, in terms of home court is Philly, um, who we talked about earlier, is probably the most, like, interesting test case for this, right? They're, yeah. They were 29-2 at home, the best home team in the league this year. And they were just awful on the road, 10 and 24, um, worse than the New York Knicks. So we're talking about like such a drastic, um, such a drastic difference in what kind of team they are. And it will be interesting to see like, does this play more like a home game or a road game? Because they don't have the home crowd and they don't have like the comfort of being at home, but also they don't have to have the distractions of like a regular road game. So, um, We'll see, especially with a team that's like always seems to have some kind of drama going on. Um, yeah. Does that like how does that play out? Like, what's the dynamic for Philly? So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see how that plays out for them and for the Raptors and Celtics. I think it's a fun division. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a very fun division, and um, Philly is. I'm glad you brought Philly as a test case because that's what I've talked about in the last couple pods as well. Is just Philly. That's the team I've circled as. That is the, that is the interesting team to watch, and I just the only reason I didn't bring it up on the Philly side of it was because I wanted to, kind of from talking about the last couple of podcasts, I wanted to say okay, let me 
let me take a little bit different <laughs> of an approach on Philly instead of instead of talking about the same things. But I'm just absolutely fascinated by all of this. Um, Lior, I want to thank you for giving your time to this podcast. Always, I always appreciate discussing basketball with you, my guy. I find your uh, I find your your perspectives very interesting, and our and our conversations great. I'm glad to hear also that you and your your people are doing well in these tough times. So, um, man, I look forward to I look forward to just having basketball back and having excuses to have more conversations with you, <laughs> and more podcasts with you, man. All the same to you, man. Thanks for having me on, and um, yeah, hopefully we can do this previewing a second or something <laughs> yeah yeah man i'm open to it i'm down i'm ready um i'll be seeing you soon i'll be talking to you soon everyone um i will have links to all of Lior's stuff in the description of the podcast check out what he does he does a lot of awesome content and now a lot of different places too yeah we're doing um i've been doing some I guess like just blog type writing, just um, some TV writing on, I did like the Fresh Prince basketball episode uh, earlier this week. So that was, um, should check that out. And I'm hoping to get back to some um, Raptors analysis, maybe like some video stuff, um, especially once the like eight regular season games start. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to that Fresh Prince basketball stuff. I had that, I'm so glad you brought that up because I have that in my list. I have like, I, I've developed this weird habit where like every <laughs> Saturday or Sunday, I um, throughout the week I go through and I and I kind of like make a list in my notes app of content to check out, and throughout the week I'm always just kind oh, of oh man, I just... not checking content, and that's right there, man. Fresh Prince <laughs> is the greatest show of all time, to me, so. I have something yeah. with Fresh Prince of Basketball that's golden. I'm glad to hear that, man. Yeah, I just open like a million tabs. <laughs> I just keep opening tabs until I read the story and close the tab. <laughs> so I, know. I do the same thing in some ways. Yeah, um, definitely one of my favorite like w basketball scenes on TV. Just the way like it's so over the top and ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun. Oh man, I can't wait for that analysis. So thank you for reminding me that will be that will be done this weekend, and I will and I will hit you with my thoughts on that. Thank you, Leo. I appreciate you as always coming on the podcast, my friend. Good to hear your voice. Good to talk to you. And um, like you said, man, we'll be we'll be back with more basketball now that basketball is a thing again. All right, take care. Take care.